Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Creating Conscious Serendipity podcast. I am your host, Benny Matthew, the founder of Orion3, uh, the company with the mission to create conscious serendipity. And today I'm excited because I have someone that um, that I met this year, but I literally connected with her so well the first day I met her. She was introduced to me by uh, a couple of good friends. And uh, that is Amy Preston. Uh, the founder and CEO of Preston Design Consulting. So, um, I'm Amy. You want to uh, welcome to the welcome to the episode. <laughs> welcome to the show. I just fumbled on my words, but it's all good. Well, thank you so much, Benny, and um, I really appreciate you having me on this podcast. This is such a great opportunity. Never have done anything like this candidly, but have been dying to do one, and just so happy that you give me the opportunity to join you here. Absolutely. I mean, it's. It's interesting because I did not know anything about commercial real estate until maybe 2018 or 20. Whenever I met Tony Coglanese, that's when I um, and he was this high energy, like just go, go, go type dude. I loved the guy when I first met him. Um, and then uh, he introduced me to Brad. And then I still didn't really understand what commercial real estate was and all the different components to it. So, for example, I thought CBRE did the leasing, did the uh, the brokerage part, and then they did the workplace planning, the construction, like all of that. I had no idea. And then in 20, actually during COVID was when I really started to understand it more and more because that's when I got really close to uh, Tony and Brad. And then um, I met Paula. I met a couple other people in the industry. And then I was like, wait, there's all these different components to commercial okay. real estate. Okay, so you got... So then I realized there were so many, so many different components, but then what I realized was like, it is the most white male dominated <laughs> uh, <laughs> industry. I mean, I honestly, I don't know a single industry from based on people who I know where it is such, it was such a male dominated industry. Right. Um, right. And so, but then fast forward to now, I look at all the people that I'm friends with or that are part of Orion three that are in commercial real estate. I mean, honestly, besides for Brad and Tony and maybe a couple of, you know, obviously uh, the leadership from Bear and then um, a couple of maybe like three, four other people, the rest are all women. I, well, so first of all, it's, it's a huge community, right? And so, you know, coming from architecture um, and design, you're not really taught about this world for you. Um, and so unless you find your way into it and get introduced to it later on, once you get into your career, it's not something when you're going to school that they talk about commercial real estate and all the arms it has, like general contracting and architecture and design, and you have brokerage and you have project management and you have furniture. And so there's just so many things that feed each other in this community, which is, was eye-opening to me in my late twenties when I started out here. Right. And so I fell into commercial real estate through architecture, but you will find that a lot of people fall into commercial real estate through something different other than going to business school or real estate school or something like that. Um, yeah, and that's I, what I found. I think, I think it's such an, like, uh, I'm fortunate where I get exposed to every single industry. And I think every single industry has their, um, you know, in my opinion, the things that are really cool, the things that are kind of like, oh shit. Oh, and then there's, uh, you know, the things that they could get there could be improvement on. Right. And I think of commercial real estate and I say, I'm like, or the, that industry as a whole. And I think there's so many different components that 
And that is the industry that was probably affected the most with COVID, right? So it's like the people that are doing well in it, they've had to adapt and 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 progress and change. And like, there's so many external factors that have happened that you would have to like take into consideration and figure out how you should move, right? And so um, I'm really, really excited to talk to you about so many different things, um, <laughs> not just commercial real estate, so many different things. But first, before we get started, because I completely forgot because we just, you know, got caught up in this conversation is, uh, do you want to introduce yourself um, and talk a little bit about your background? Absolutely. So uh, Amy Preston, founder and managing principal for Preston and Design and Construction Consulting, uh, spent, um, you know, educated in architecture, spent the early years practicing architecture, really loved it. Uh, and, um, you know, Why do you love architecture? Oh my gosh, I love design and it's a puzzle, right? So like if you like, um, if you like drawing, but you like drawing in a technical way that solves for problems, not abstract or artistically, um, it is almost therapeutic for you. So when I learned, I learned hand drafting and this is right when CAD came out, like computer automated software. So I didn't really learn that until I got in the field. Um, and so it, it's a true art. It feels really good for someone who has ADHD. It's, it's constant moving, it's constant thinking. And so I really loved it. Um, and had it not been for the fact that I was making $28,000 a year and bartending on the weekends to pay my rent, I probably would have never even considered leaving, right? But that's just what it was. And, um, and I happened to be doing a, like base building architecture for an auditorium and conference center out in Rosemont and CB Richard Ellis came in and took over the management of that project. And at the end, they offered me a job in project management. And I was like, uh, no. And I said, well, we'll pay you this. And I was like, I'm going to try that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's how it all started, right? And at the time, you know, CB Richard Ellis is still, you know, it's still a giant, but project management was such a small piece. You know, CB is pretty much known for being a brokerage house. And project management really spawned at this, like, check the box as a service line for brokers, right? We need these people to help our clients figure out how to do this. And so when I joined the team, it was very small and it was a kind of sink or swim. Here's your 30 projects and you're going to need to figure this out. Um, and then fast forward, once I got the hang of it, it was even more exciting than design and architecture because it was fast paced. You learned about so many different disciplines, right? You learned about MEP and structure and constructability and budgets and costing. Um, and then, you know, you get really good at it and you make so many connections and so many networks. Um, and I just knew I would probably never go back to design, but I found myself in this, in this role where I was third party. I was working with primarily white men. Um, and I felt like I deserved more, um, and I wanted more. And I'm one of those people in life that, um, just doesn't wait for somebody to hand it to me. And so if I wasn't going to get it there, I was going to go find it somewhere else. And, uh, and I found it through another opportunity where um, I moved to working for the owner, the owner operator developer. And so this is kind of like, if you're in project management, it's kind of the creme de la creme, right? You're working directly for the people who have the money. And so to be that close to the capital and that close to the decision-making seemed really appealing. Um, and, and so I took a job at Tishman Spire um, and I spent 10 and a half years uh, managing their design and construction group for Chicago um, and eventually in Austin as well. And it was probably um, one of the best opportunities I could have ever found myself in um, because, 
of the access to capital. So how and does that how does that how does the access to capital make it um, so much better for someone that's not in the industry? So um, think about this: if you're an architect, someone's hiring you, and the they're going to make all the decisions about that design. So when you want to be with that someone who's going to make all those decisions about that design or be that person making all those decisions. So what I found is being that close to the capital, I actually was designing more. I was dictating what we wanted to see. Right. And so you get to be in a position where you retain consultants, you communicate desires on what you want to do. And then, you know, you build it and you know, have a return, of course, but, and then you help your leasing teams lease it. And so it was just closer to the top, right? Um, okay. And and then COVID hit. Um, and uh, and for most people, they, we, everyone went home and were locked down for those three months. And for most people that became two years. But for me at Fish and Spire, construction in Chicago was deemed a necessary business. So I was back in the office in June. Um, and and preferably back in the office in June, right? I'm not a stay-at-home person. So it wasn't like I was forced, but we never stopped. And so while everyone was figuring out this break, we were in a really weird world because nobody was in our office except for the people who did construction, mm -hmm. um, which was very few. Um, we ran lean. And, and it gave you this opportunity to start to think about what happens if this isn't relevant anymore? Um, what happens if commercial real estate isn't relevant anymore? And, and I just started thinking and I'm a workaholic and I, you know, I'm not getting any younger. And I thought, is this the time to diversify and try to go do something on my own? Um, and you know, we, I have a, had a great relationship with Tishman. We, we departed and we, you know, we did a luxurious exit agreement where I gave them six weeks at a garden agreement. Um, and they gave me a great severance to go start my company. And, you know, I knew what I was doing. It was a very bittersweet moment because I was leaving behind that access to capital. I was leaving behind this position that I worked my entire career to be right next to that top and building great big buildings and working with like stark attacks and, and very sophisticated people. And I was making that decision to walk out knowing that I might not ever do that again. But what it was for me was, am I, am I going to get to meet different people, right? Am I going to build different types? You know, we're in a lot for not-for-profit education. Um, we, we can do anything. I do country clubs. I mean, like, we'll look at anything. And the beauty of it is, is that I meet and learn all the time now. Whereas at Tishman, I was doing one thing, right? And over time, that started to become a question in my mind. Like, am I learning anymore or is this becoming a formula? And so uh, it was the right move. It was certainly the most quiet months of my life. Those first three months, I was like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Um, but then I got one job and then I got two and then I took a portfolio over and I had to hire. And then two years later, we're four people about to add fifth. And you know, we, are, we understand what's going on in the market with commercial real estate. Um, but we're not solely wedded to commercial real estate. Yeah. Um, we have this opportunity to touch different components of development and redevelopment and um, and faith. So um, when Paula and Kristen, because they talked to me about you first before they even sent that email intro. And I remember, I think the words that they used were like badass or um, 
you know, uh, she boss, like all like really, really good um, terminology. Right. And so yeah. um, I'm a little I'm, I'm very curious, actually, to know um, th some of the different things that you experienced earlier in the industry before you um, before you went off on your own. And I mean that in the sense of like, I'm not asking you to spell out your you know, the whole story or whatever. But what were some of the things that were really challenging for you? Well, I mean, I'll be candid, right? So um, inequality in the workplace exists. It existed more so in commercial real estate, right? And so as a woman, I if I was hired at the same time as a man at CB, which I was, he made 100 and I made 65. And we probably came with the same amount of experience. Okay, can, um, you, can you, this is, I'm so glad you brought this up because how does that work? Like, how do you, if you had the same experience, and I'm guessing these are not roles that are business development or sales, right? These are uh, general roles. What, because I have, I've had other people that told me about this, but I've always been, when I was in corporate, I was always in a performance driven type role where salaries were very transparent. I've only worked for two companies, right? And so you knew what you got, what everyone made based on how much production that they had, or they hit their bonus or whatnot. But like, how did you know that somebody else is making more um and how did they um like how did you react to it when you found out that that was the case so uh, a couple things i would say it 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 happened so much that i don't think anyone thinks about what they're doing when they're doing it i don't think they're like she's worth less but i think that there was a perception in the market that women just weren't like couldn't do all of it right and so okay. here's the thing if the position like I'll, I'll give you an example when i interviewed for tishman i knew from a friend who worked for tishman that the person who was in the position before me made one hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars a year and so when i went in i knew what the position should pay and when they offered me one hundred and fifty thousand, i went back and said i know this position pays 165 and they came back and they had a really great answer they said listen for the years of experience that that person had in this role, it was worth 165. And, you know, we think that you can get there, but we think for your level of experience, it's at 150. And so we agreed. But you know what they did at the end of the year? They were like, we were wrong. Like, you actually are that experience. Yeah. And we're going to the 165. Now, that's the right thing to do. Yes. The thing that the position is the position. And if you can do those things in that description, there should be a price for that. Not a price for a woman to do it and a price for a man to do it, right. a price for a person to fill this position. And I don't think that was ever the case in real estate. And it just kind of perpetuated, right? And like I said, I don't think there were people in the back room going, oh, just pay her half, right? right I right. think just a perception over time and it was adopted. And so when I found out that the, my male counterpart, which by the way, happened to get let, let, let go <laughs> during the recession because he wasn't pulling his weight. Okay. Um, found that out. I went in and I said, listen, I don't expect for you guys to like bump this to 100 overnight, but I'm aware and I'd love to set a goal to get there, right? Because I'm worth it. And I think that I do do the job that equates to that. And they were not very receptive. So I said, it's not going to be today and it probably won't be tomorrow, but I'm going to be leaving. Because why would I stay here and be underpaid for the rest of my life? Yeah. Like, I'm not, you're not doing me a favor. I'm actually doing you a favor because I work my ass off and I'm really good. And so it, it was, it was something that you have to advocate for yourself 
but you have to do it in a way where you take ownership of it, right? Like if I just sat and complained and stayed there, it's not good for anybody. So I just yeah, said- I, That's actually one of the things that I feel like, um, one of the reasons why I say like I connected with you so well is because I'm a big energy person and I trust my instinct based on when I interact with people, right? And you yeah. just seemed, the first time we met, you just didn't, you didn't seem like someone that was a, a complainer. And I actually, I, I can't, I have a hard time with dealing with people that just complain and complain and not do. And yeah. um, you seem like someone that just, um, you look at the problem, you look at whatever it is and you create a, a solution and you actually execute on it. Now listen, I, I, have a, I have a bigger mindset, right? Like if, if companies, big companies like the CDs of the world could afford to pay everybody what they were worth, they'd probably be broke, right? So I understand that there's minutia in the background that, that you know, hovers over these decision-making processes. So like I said, I don't think anyone was in the back and said, Amy's worth half. I don't think that was the case at all. I think it's very you know, analytical on paper. There's a PL that people have to answer to. This is what the PL can afford. This is what we can afford to pay these people. And I just happen to fall into that bracket. So it's not, it's not an inequality thing I go after, but at that point, if you realize for yourself that you're not being paid what you're worth, it's your responsibility to change that. Like yeah. you rely on CB to answer for that. And it, cause you could be waiting forever and I don't like to wait forever. <laughs> right, right, right. So right. then, um, and so, um, when you think about the, the ups, the, your favorite things about working in the industry, what would you say there? I mean, people, right? Like you get to meet so many different kinds of people. Um, and so that is, um, I do this all the time. I feel like on every episode. So if I ever, that's such, that answer is a good one. And I know you're coming from, I know you're coming from a real spot with it, but that's a very easy thing. That's a very easy answer to say. <laughs> so even when you say people, what do you mean by that? Well, for me, so what I find pleasure in and what I do is um, finding solutions. So for good or for bad and whatever my place was in childhood, I'm a people pleaser. And I work hard with my therapist to like get over that. But like I'm a fixer, right? And so what I do is I find myself in this role which allows me to fix all the time. It's very gratifying. So um, I love to work with people and help them find solutions or solve problems. And that's what real estate is all about. It's solving problems, right? And right now we have a big problem, uh, a problem that we've never had in the industry before. And so it's super like exciting for me to have something even though it's not solvable um, with one answer, but to have something new that we can learn from, right? And grow from and create something new. Um, and so that's kind of what I love about real estate is that for we're always solving problems for people. Um, and in that you are constantly learning. And I'm a forever a learner. Like if I'm, if I'm learning, I'm being challenged and it's exciting and I wanna keep going forward and never wanna be stopped. What are the biggest problems that you're, um, I mean, there's probably a ton, but what would you say are the biggest problems that you're dealing, that you like dealing with right now or that you are dealing with right now? Um, staff, right. When you're a small company and you're trying to grow, um, I would say staffing is hard. Um, I would say I'm only one person. And so I can't be everywhere at once. Um, but I also have to be cognizant of growing a business and not over hiring. And I want to hire the right people. And that takes time. 
Um, I, when I worked for Tishman, I hired people all the time, but it was a different risk, right? It wasn't my risk. Um, it wasn't my brand, right? right. They were representing And so it was less personal. So now as a new business owner, one of the hardest things is hiring because the people out there on the street are representing you. And so it has to be, like you said, it has to be authentic. Like I go and I meet people all the time. And one of the things is I'm approachable and I'm likable. And I want my people to be approachable and likable because at the end of the day, I don't know everything, right? I'm going to make a mistake. Uh, I'm going to be in a meeting. And I'm going to have to tell you, I don't know that. I'll have to find it out, right? And if, if you can't deliver news or connect with people on that level, um, I feel like you can't gain trust and, and earn the business. And so with people, when I meet them, it's, it's about their skill, but it's also about their ability to connect with people, right, in a real way so that they can earn their trust and they can really go in there and help them solve problems and figure out what they want to do. And they don't have to be these perfect robots who have every single answer. And that's harder. That's harder to figure out from an interview process. So when I hired my first person, Deirdre, we did like a six month engagement. Like she came and shadowed me. We hung out because we needed to develop a rapport and we needed to make sure that we liked each other. But more importantly, is she my brand, right? Can she be on the street? And here's the thing, people love Deirdre. And so that's yeah. one of the best things about her. Like everything else is trainable, but people love her. And so that's so important to me. And that's a challenge when you're growing a company because it's harder to find that and that takes time. Do you feel like, um, do you feel like you have your, your need for a high level of trust exponentially went up after you decided to start your own company? Yes. Um, I would say two things, right? Like I am very, uh, I take huge responsibility in the fact that I employ people and I pay their salaries, right? And so I take uh, great pride in understanding where they're coming from, what their families are, way more so than I ever did at Tishman. Like if you lived it on your own and you had, you know, a dog and I never knew who that dog was, like, because you just didn't want to bring me in your life, like, that's fine. But like working for me, like, this is like almost like your family. And I don't know if I'll be able to perpetuate that forever over time, but the trust factor for the people who came on board early and took a chance on me was huge, right? I trust you, but you should have to trust me too, because someone like Deirdre who left an institutionalized, um, you know, position at Northwestern University after 13 years left behind a lot to take a chance on me. Yeah. And so it's both ways. And I, and I know that and I'm aware of that. And, you know, and I take responsibility in that. And so trust is huge. Yeah. How do you think the, um, how do you think, like, how does it feel right now knowing that when you were, when you first started, you were an architect, right? You were working a second job, you said at a bar, right? A bar bartending. <laughs> now, um, you built a, an awesome reputation for yourself in a very tough industry. Uh, you left uh, a very uh, big company, which in your words had, you know, had the capital to do this yeah. in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. How does, how does it feel now uh, being Amy Preston? And what would, what would the Amy Preston who was an architect and working at a bar, what would she think of the Amy Preston right now? Well, um, I think she'd be really amazed, uh, really amazed at this, right? So this is what I tell people. They see this and they think this is like glamorous and it's like a sexy job. 
I work my ass off. I work day, I work night, I grind it out, right? And I knew what I was doing. I was always a workaholic, but I knew this would be a really tough challenge and that I'd have to commit to at least five to 10 years of doing this if I was gonna grow this company. So that's not the hard part. Um, but the, the easy part is, the reason why I'm able to do it is that for the first time in my entire career, I have this mental clarity because you know what I don't have behind me is the corporate noise. And the corporate noise is stifling. And, and I say it personally because it was stifling for me. There was always me being a little quieter, a little less vocal, a little more apprehensive because I was afraid if I didn't say the right thing or if I said something wrong, somebody might not think I was smart. Somebody might not think I know what I was doing, right? And so when you work like that for the majority of your career, um, you never truly realize your own creativity or trust your gut, right? So think about not trusting your instincts for 15 years. Like, how does that feel? What do you wind up looking like? And if I, if I have to tell you this, like in the last two years, I get approached all the time. Come run my company, come, come run my project management group, come take over this. And you know what I say to them? Like, this is a really great opportunity. Um, but I don't think I could ever give up this mental clarity. I don't think there's a price tag you could put on the way I feel today about um, how hard I work and about the network that I've created and about the projects that I've worked on and about the relationships that I've established. And I did that. And so, um, like I said, I still don't know everything. Uh, and I'll be the first one to admit it. Um, but I'll be the one that's going to roll your roll my sleeves with you and get in the room and figure it out. Um, but I, I have this ability to go with gut that I haven't had in a long time. And I have this ability to um, tap into this self-confidence that I haven't ever used before. And it's it feels great. And I don't think that making more money um, would ever make me give up this. Uh, and and I if I had to go back to my you know younger self, I wish I could instill in her like take risk right? Quit. You'll get another job, right? Walk out the door. You'll figure it out. Like trust in yourself, believe in yourself, bet on yourself. What would um, she think of you? Like, what would she think of you based on how you were back then? Um, I think she said, I think she would say you would have gotten here one way or the other, right? Like there's, there's, you know, I mean, I just, the way that I work, it's not natural. Um, I think it has a lot to do with my ADHD and I just can't sit still. And so I find joy in doing. And so no matter what I do, I always do it like 20%, 30% more. Um, and so I think she would have said, you would have gotten here one way or the other, right? But you took the long way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you always yeah. take the long way, Amy. That's what she would say. Why do you have to take the long way or the hard way? You but you know, just... so like you could, so that I asked you that question in different words than how other people have asked me. Cause other people have asked me, like, if you can go back to your younger self, what would you tell yourself to not do? Or what would you change that a mistake you made in the past? And I think that's actually a bullshit type question for me because, and I, every single time I've been asked that over the last three years, I said nothing like I would not tell that. I made a lot of mistakes. I've had so many regrets in my life. But if I'm worried that if I didn't make that one mistake or all those mistakes, 
or if I didn't, um, if I wasn't wrong about this back then, I wouldn't be me. I would not be me right now. And the truth is, like, I know that I have so much that I need to work on, so much that I need to um, improve on in my life and all that. But I'm very happy being me. You know what I mean? Like, so it's yeah. a, it's a weird. It's almost like even when you're talking about the, um, she when she say takes the shortcut. I don't know. I don't know if taking the shortcut would have gotten you where you are right now. I don't know if we would be in this, like right here in this moment in time, if you took the shortcut. Well, I don't think, but here's the thing. So like, like I'll, I'll, I'll lay it out pretty simply here. Like there was no other option for me. So like I grew up poor, right? So like if I didn't pay my bills, there was no phone call to make, right? Yeah. I'm still paying my student loans and I'm almost 50. Like that's what, that you know, so there was no other way. I just had to make it work. So there are times in my life where I made decisions because I had to, right? Yeah. And there are people who are really fortunate to have very great support in family and things like that, where it has allowed them to make better decisions. But right? you know what? So here's here's what I'll tell you about that. You're... Um... I don't think I used to think that was a benefit growing up because I grew up in a tiny little one bedroom apartment till college, whatever. But like the, um, I used to hate, I used to wish like we were middle-class or, uh, not poor, you know, like, yeah. but, uh, but the thing is I look back at that and it's like, not, um, I'm very, there's nothing I would change about that because I, that that's a huge part of me you know that's my that that those experiences that made you, you even you like I 100% believe one of the reasons why like you and I connected so well is because like what you just said like I think you know you growing up that way you knowing that like you have to survive you have the survival mentality you got to take care of yourself and others but you got to take care of yourself you can't have nobody else take care of you I think there's a it's almost like a survival instinct type stuff and I'll tell you this right now there's a lot of people that I know that grew up like, you know, who I thought was rich back in the day, but like, you know, middle class or upper middle class. Um, I don't envy any of their lives right now. You right. know, like not, not saying they're not doing well. They are like a lot of them are. But I don't know. I, I, could, I think you and I, we can appreciate our experiences because a lot of people have to talk about other people to validate certain things. You and I, we could talk about our own life experiences. Oh yeah, I can mean, I mean, I could write a book. Like it's it's crazy town down there. Yeah. Uh, but but you know what? You can't. Here, here's the thing. I remember. Um, I I've had some really great mentors in my career. Really great. Like they they have just happened upon me, and I'm super fortunate. Um, but one of my mentors early on, um, Bob Finnegan, when I was working for you know in architecture, said, um, "There's some some people are smart." Right. And he goes, and you're smart. And he's like, but there's something that you can't teach, which is like grit, um, like grit. Right. And so and you get grit by growing up gritty. Right. Like grit just doesn't come upon you. And so I think when I'm young, when I was younger, I didn't understand or respect that. Right. And again, there's a lot of like jealousy, looking out the window, wishing I had this, wishing I could have done this. And I didn't realize what was building up with all of my experience, which was this grit, which does allow me to go and make connections with a lot of people that a lot of people can't get on their level, right? But I can, right? Because I can talk to anybody. I can talk to rich people. I could talk to poor people. I could talk to, you know, I mean, you name it. And so 
there becomes this essence of being approachable. And that's where, when I can get in a room and I can connect with people and I can show them not only am I smart, but I'm transparent, I'm likable, I'm trustworthy. That's when the win comes for me. Um, and so I, I'm able to do that more um, owning my own business than I was working for a large corporation. What do you, what would you say, what kind of advice do you have for other, honestly, not just women, but men and women who don't have that spark where they can speak up for themselves and um, whether it's salary related issues, whether it's um, being able to deal with different types of, you know, executive level leadership people, what advice would you have for those people that don't have that spark that you have? So if we were all the same, um, it would be A, very boring, but B, we'd all be like at each other's throats because we'd be competing all the time. Not everyone's going to be this type A overachiever personality. My biggest advice for people is um, if you haven't in your lifetime, um, I offer to you the opportunity to find out what you really want and what's important to you. And once you figure that out, right, you don't have to blurt it out loud. You don't have to march in somebody's office and make demands. But you can communicate it in a very like graceful way that I really want this. Um, and I, I'm hoping there's a path for me here. And if there's not, then you have to take that inside and realize maybe you have to be honest with yourself and move on, right? Because it's hard for people to walk in a room and speak their mind, particularly to leadership um, and, and know their value and know their worth. So you have to go figure out what that is for yourself. And I'm not saying that's easy. It took me decades, right? So if you can do that, I think that's super important to understand what you think you're worth. Um, and then you can wager with people about how you should be treated or paid in association with that worth. Um, but if you don't know that, when you go in asking for something, you're just asking to ask. Um, I also will say this, earn, the money, earn the position. I'm a big fan of earning. Um, I don't, so um, I earn everything that I have, right? I worked my ass off, I put my nose down, I ignored a lot of things sometimes, but I kept moving forward and I kept moving on and I kept taking opportunity to learn more um, and do sometimes you have to do things outside your job description to, to level up, right? But we have a, we have a lot of community right now where they want to work their 40 hours a week and they want to do just the five things that they were hired to do, yet they want this salary and they want this title. And those aren't equal, right? Sometimes you're going to have to do some things you don't want to do, right? Yeah. And, and so again, it goes back to what is it that you really want? And then you have to write down how you think you're going to get there. And sometimes it's doing stuff that maybe wasn't necessarily in the plan, right? Like sticking around at CB for two years longer until I found the right job. That wasn't necessarily in the plan, but I had to do it. Yeah. And, you know, and I did it with grace. I didn't walk into work complaining all day and yelling and ranting. I just did my job and I just said, I'll find a new one. But you have to first evaluate inside before you can expect the outside to react. How do you right? evaluate? Can you go a little bit deeper into that? Like, how do you evaluate the inside? Well, I mean, first of all, you have to be honest with yourself, right? Not everybody wants to own a business. Not everybody wants to be on a podcast and that's fine, right? And, but just be honest and say, I just want to work hard and I want to make a good living and I want to pay my bills. That's a great answer. I want to 
um, I, I want coaching and mentorship because I'd like to be a leader, but I don't know how to be a leader, right? You have to figure out, and it doesn't have to be like one thing. It's kind of like when the kids, everyone goes to school at 18 and they're like, pick your major. And I was like, yeah, what? Like, <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's opportunity to change and you can change your mind, but you have to actually ask yourself what's important and, and what it means to you. And for some people, it might be, I only want to work 40 hours a week. Yeah. I don't come home and be connected to my phone all night, right? I don't want people to call me on the weekends. I don't want to worry about this. And those are really valid things for you to acknowledge because then there are certain places where you shouldn't be, right? There are certain pressure cooker opportunities that probably are not going to be good for you. Yeah. So that's what I mean is like, it, it's you get lost in thinking I need to be doing this and I need to be getting a pay raise and I need to be going from this title to this title. But you never ask yourself, is that what you really want? Like the, the higher I climbed, the worse it got for me. What do you mean? Right. I, when I started, I, you know, when I started at Tishman, I had a, a team of project managers. When I ended, I had like one person, I was like almost a one man show. I was running a ridiculous amount of work that nobody should be running as one person. It was a huge risk for them, but I just did it. And I never said boo. And so you know whose responsibility that is? Mine. Yeah. Mine for letting them do that, right? That's not their responsibility. If they say do this and I say yes, great. Do this one too. Okay. That's my fault. Yeah. And so I never took a look inside and said, when's enough enough for you, Amy? Right? Like, when when do you have to stop proving to the world that you are so good at what you do? that you are now running too much work, you're not sleeping, you're not seeing your family, when's enough enough? But that's not anything that anybody can answer but me. And I so- The lack know, of accountability is actually, um, I think it's it's a plague that's affecting just society in general, not just America, just everywhere. The lack of accountability, but also there's the other side of it where, you know, um, the greed aspect and um, people that don't want to do stuff, right? So it's it's an interesting dynamic where um, it's not linear, you know, but I think you can't control right. the world, but you can control yourself. And right. um, that perception that you have, I think is is really good. I think not just for women or whatever it's, or just in commercial real estate, I mean, just in general for people itself, because there's yeah. a lot more, complaining that's happening um that i think it happens uh, when you look at external things like the news or um uh you know social media whatever but there's a very lack of accountability yeah and i think um you know i'm a big believer in the power of choice right and i always tell people what? choice okay and so i always tell people like once you realize you have the power of choice it's a little earth shattering, right? Because you choose, you choose to accept that. You choose to, you know, pick up your phone at seven at night. You chose that. So as soon as you chose to pick up that phone and you don't create boundaries for yourself, that's on you. Your company's not taking advantage of you if you actually answer, right? So if you realize you have the power of choice, it's a lot of power in your hands. And I think there's a lot of people out there who don't know what to do with that power. And they're confused about that power. So it's easier to push it on other people, right? But I know that power. 
And I actually love the power of choice. Um, and I love, I love to bring it up to people, right? Because it's in what I do innately in project management, but I say, listen, I can save you $100,000. But what that means is that you don't get this, this, or this, right? And, and so, but that is your choice, right? But I can't wave a magic wand and allow you to get these three things and save $100,000. It's just, you have to realize that there's choice all around you and you're choosing all the time. So harness that power and make these choices that work for you and, and see how people react. Because if I had to go back to my inner self, I would have said, don't answer that call at six in the morning. Don't answer that call on the weekend, right? See what happens. What would they do, <laughs> right? But I never did it. I just worked myself to the bone. And at the end, I was like, and what's, what's there to show for that? less mental health, less mental clarity, right? Which is now why I have something that I don't think you could put a price tag on. Um, is but this do you mental think you would have been, going back to my question I asked before though, do you think if you didn't do all of that before, you would be you right now? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you ask my mother, she'd probably say yes. She said, <laughs> um, thank God all my four other kids were really slow and sleepers. She goes, because I spent my entire life <laughs> Round. <laughs> um, I, I do think it's a personality trait, um, but I don't. Here's the thing: no regrets. My experience is what leads, like, yeah. gets me to see the table a hundred percent. And I do have a tendency to take the long way, no matter what. It's something about me. Um, it's almost like um, if I don't learn it myself. So here, here's something that maybe people can equate to: I make lists, a lot of lists. And I write them and I love to write them, but this is how I learn. When I write something down, it goes in my brain. So I have lists everywhere um, and it's very old school. And so when I work with younger people, they pull out their laptop and they're taking notes on their laptop. And I'm like, wow, but I can't learn that way, right? So I learn the long way. Um, and that's just who I am in life. And you know, even I, my employee Deirdre, she's always like, she's like, yeah. She's like, you know, there's like a shortcut for that. And I was like, I don't like the shortcut, like yeah. the shortcut there's something about why that doesn't work. And so I, I think you're right. Yes. All of these things have led me to have a seat at the table. Would I have ended up at the seat of the table um, in a quicker way? Maybe. Um, but yes, I do think those experiences have led me here. I also think it's the people that I've met. Like I said, I've had great mentors. Uh, I've met a ton of people in the industry and I think it's the people along the way that have supported me that I've learned from. I learn a ton from people. I listen, I learn a ton. I'm always listening so that I can learn more um, and then share those, share that knowledge with other people. You mentioned the mentors part. Um, you know, I think there's, so there's women that want to be mentored by women, right? And then there's, uh, then I know women that want to be mentored. It doesn't matter. They just want to be mentored by somebody that is like, that they can connect with and that they respect. When you look at the people that were mentors in your career, would you say, it's like a, a mix of women and men. Is it mostly women? Is it mostly men? Um, and I'm just, I'll tell you why after you tell me the answer, why I'm asking this. All men. All men. All men. And all different types of men. Like my first mentor uh, was a guy named Bill Zemick. And he was like old school, like would call you honey and all this stuff. Like, and he was this big guy. I think he played football in college. Um, he was the one who hired me at CB. But like what he taught me was something that you can't learn, which was how to negotiate with people and um, 
and I scratch your back, you scratch mine, right? I do, I do a favor for you, you do a favor for me. And what I couldn't have realized at the time is how invaluable that would become primarily in construction, right? Where a lot of mistakes happen and you have to pick up the phone and you have to call people and you have to say, listen, this happened and I need you to rectify that. Or they, GCs call me and they say, we missed this, right? But if you don't have that skill where you can pick up the phone and do that, so he, he was super great and you had to get over the honey part and all that kind of stuff, which was fine. My second mentor uh, was a guy who was like, he grew up in Pakistan at the age of eight, he went to boarding school in London, then he went to Cornell, then he went to Harvard, then he worked for IMPEG, now he works for Tishman. He's brilliant. Uh, and, but he just pushed me, he pushed me. And it was like never anything but excellent. And he's like, cause I know you can do it. And so I never worked harder to please somebody, but I never learned a more polished skill, right? Um, in terms of the work that I put out. And so it was just completely different. On one hand, I've got this gritty guy who taught me negotiations and being able to pick up the phone and make friends. And on the other hand, I have this like professional, brilliant person who was like, you can put out better than that, who forced me to like dig deep and, yeah. and better. Yeah. That's really so, yeah. I, f I feel like, cause I'm, 41 now I forgot my age for a second but 41 now and I feel like anyone um I I especially within Orion 3 I feel like there's more women that are um well if not half and half women that are in executive leadership roles that are um part of Orion 3 and it's not like I'm not trying to it's not like I was you know I'm just strictly looking for it just naturally happened right but I want to say the I'm South Indian but I professionally, I've never had any mentors that are South Indian, you know, like, cause one I'm in, I went into like sales accidentally after college and there's really, um, I only know, I only have one other friend that that's Indian that did sales, right? Everybody else is like engineering or doctor or all the, <laughs> the, the, the STEM stuff. So all of my, in my first company, I was there for 12 years and literally all the people that I consider like a mentor were all white, right? But men and women. And then once I got into, once I started doing my own thing here um, uh, with Orion 3, you know, it's interesting because I meet now a lot more people and uh, it's kind of crazy because like I put, you know, I, I say like Robert Blackwell and Amanda Lannard are the two people that are like my staples, like since I started this. And one is the most successful entrepreneur that I've ever met in my life is a, you know, a 63 year old black man. The best leader in terms of CEO that I know is a white woman in tech, you know, Amanda Lannert. Um, <laughs> I feel like the, it, it's interesting. I feel like the, you know, we talk about the wealth gap and all this stuff, but the wealthiest people I know are all like Indian or Asian, not white, you know, like it's, it's really, it's weird. It's, um, and I think it's because I get access to a lot more people than a lot more people I know. I, but right. So I get to meet a lot more people, but the thing is, I feel like, I feel like, um, uh, there's several women that I know who they say like, yeah, their mentors are mostly men because especially like, you know, being 42 or older, like most leadership positions are all by men. So I don't know that, like, I have no, I will never ask for, uh, a South Indian guy or an Indian guy to mentor me. Like I, I could care less about that. I would rather have someone that I respect that I genuinely like that I connect with. And if they be become a mentor, great. But I'm not out there like, you know, saying I want to feel like yeah. based on gender or race. Um, but I do think uh, women, especially, but also I would say 
when you look at the different um, uh, the different different ways to break down um, what people land, I feel like there's a lot more women that want women as mentors. Yeah, what do you I think mean, about that? I, well, I would say this. So I I've been a mentor for a woman in the industry. Um, I hired her in 2015. I trained her. We worked together for a while. She's gone on to do great thing. Um, and and I think this uh, a a mentor should challenge you and push you, right? To ask those questions that I was talking about before, like mm -hmm. get in touch with what you want and what your worth is. Um, and they should they should challenge you in in different ways. The thing with women and women is I think that some women find that they can relate to women more and they're very curious about how they got there, right? I think yeah. there's a genuine curiosity about what your path was. I get a lot of women who reach out to me in the industry and they say, we just want, I just want to have coffee. I'd love to hear your story. I want to know how you got there. Because I think they're genuinely curious because the path is, you know, it's new, right? With all these women who are finding themselves in leadership positions, but it's not, like you said earlier, linear, right? You don't go to school and start here and get a title and then work your way up. It seems like when you talk to women who find themselves in leadership, it's a very crooked winding trail. And so I believe that women are curious as to what that trail was and they take comfort in the fact that it wasn't linear and then they might be on the right track, right? That they didn't, they're not misstepping and doing something wrong. And I don't think, not by the fault, a man could explain that to you because they just don't have that same track, Yeah. right? And so that's why I think some women really gravitate towards other women because they're thirsting for um they're thirsting for a community in which they can validate that this isn't easy. This is hard. It's okay to feel these things. It's okay to feel, you know, defeated, you know, defeated and, and still get up and work hard because those are pretty much all our stories. I don't know any woman I've talked to who was in a leadership position that was like, I applied and one day I was the boss. <laughs> yeah, I actually don't know um, any either. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's so a mindset thing too. Uh, the way I look at it, because I think it's easy to, when you're not, when you're not the majority, it's easy to feel like you didn't get what you wanted to get because someone doesn't like you because you're the minority at where you're at. It's easy to feel that and external factors like validate that too. Right. So it's like, and I, I think that sometimes a lot of times it's a lack of communication um, on goals and where you need to what you need to do to get here versus what you know what you actually did. Um, a lot of times it's a lack of connection where you want to be mentored by someone, but like you don't feel as comfortable and it's it almost feels very forced kind of. Um, yeah. So it's it's just an interesting thing that I've noticed with like just how society operates and who um, like who gravitates to who. Yeah, and I, and I will say this. Um, this is my number one confusion in the world today is that people are put in positions of leadership that don't belong there right because i don't think anyone understands the responsibility of leadership to the people who are reporting to you right you can be really like bang up at your job you could be amazing but maybe it doesn't mean you should be managing a staff of people right and the problem with society is that because companies run so lean is that they combined that position you can't just be good at your job. You're going to be good at your job and you're going to leave this office. And those aren't the same thing. And so what happens is, is more often than not, the leadership is poor and people can't get the mentorship, right? And so they start to look outside 
for other people who they gravitate towards where they think that they can because mm -hmm. they realize that mentorship means that you have to have an understanding of people, right? And understanding of like, how how can I help you grow your career? Some people yeah. might not want to grow their career. Some people are like, I'm great here. And others might say, I need this kind of training. I need you to teach me this. I need exposure to that, right? But, the, you know, there's a lot of leaders these days who are just checking the box and they're coming in and they're trying to do their job and they're not managing down. And, and that's where you get these like cracks in companies and, and that's where unhappiness breeds, right? And so- Yes. I actually think, um, so the first company I was at, um, I told you, uh, for 12 years, I, I am extremely grateful for my experience there. Um, there was a lot of ups and downs, but I feel like I had to go through that, um, in order to get here. Right. But I would say that even till this day, I'm still really good friends with a lot of people that I've worked with. It was, it was just a different experience, but because it was a performance driven organization, everybody started off at the same, you know, when you, the entry level role, right. And then you, based on performance, you move up and up and up, right? But it, since it was based on sales and um, production, you got promoted off that uh, to get to management or director or whatever. I it, I think the where not just that company, but several companies where they miss the ball is production doesn't equal leadership. No. Like, I don't care how much your numbers, how good your numbers are, how good of a salesperson uh, you are, how much money you're making, it does not mean you could manage other people. And I think there were a lot of shitheads and I'll say it like there was some shitheads that I could not stand there who were in <laughs> leadership. But on the flip side, I got, I was very fortunate to work with like just extremely good people where I learned a lot from. Right. But um, I know a lot of people that were affected by those shitheads because they couldn't manage. So um, it affected the careers of all the people that were underneath them. Right. Because, and they were, so I think there is something about this whole leadership thing. Um, but more than that, I would even say management. Like people management is a lot different than managing your own book of business. It's a very special skill. Um, and, and here's the thing. I think it's a disservice to the people that they put in those positions that don't belong there too. Yeah. Right? Because you take somebody who's really good at what they do and you feed their ego and you say, now you're going to be in charge of 10 people. Yeah. And what it does is, is that puts them in a bad position too. Because ultimately, right? it becomes a revolving door, people leave, there's unhappiness, and if no one's successful out of that. So I, I just think people, particularly coming out of COVID, like when they talk about where to spend their money, I'm like, I think you should spend it on your leadership, right? And you should actually find out that the leaders you have are in the appropriate spot. And wouldn't it be great, which I know is like a total fantasy, but wouldn't it be great if this person can be really good at their job and just be good at their job? They don't have to be good at their job and lead a team of 10, yeah. right? But they can be, be good at their job. And you don't have to dump another responsibility on them that they don't belong in. And then you can hire the person who really should be in charge of people, right? Yes. And that's, that's going to grow your team and grow your company and create this success. But sometimes they don't have, you know, the role to pay two people. And that's the challenge, right? And so when you're looking at a P&L, it's easier to combine that role. And that's just not great. So <laughs> like taking that what you just said right now along with everything else we talked about along with all the other stuff that's happened during covid along with all the different movements that have happened um what do you like what's your perception on how the world is right now well not the world the country the you know um the industry chicago like what's your per perception on everything right now based on all the changes that have happened over you know, the last several years. 
Um, I, I think people are confused. Um, I've been through recessions and it's nothing like this, right? We're not in a recession. Actually, employment rate is lowest and it has been in a long time. This is not about um, money. There is a mindset that is being challenged. And I don't think anybody has the answer, like the, the one-stop shop solution, right? And so like, I think I've talked about this before, but typically there's a market leader who does something in the market and people respond. And I use the, when Google, you know, came out with open office and everybody realized that they could, you know, get so many people and uh, a certain amount of square footage and become more efficient and pay less for real estate. And everyone's like, open office for everybody. And it wasn't even the right thing for the majority of companies that did it. But there is no market leader who has done something about coming back to work or what it looks like to truly provide flexible opportunities for their staff in a way where the market can respond. And what that leads me to believe is that not enough people are um, taking a look inside at their actual business model and, and solving for those problems because that's really hard. Um, and that's a different thing. And so they're confused and this is taking longer than we'd like it to. And now it's reaping the effects in the Chicago real estate market for sure because the vacancy rates are still the same. Um, you know, I, I just heard last week there's another round, you know, of layoffs and architecture firms and project yeah, management. That too. Yeah. And so, you know, that that's caught, you know, cause for concern for what 2024 is going to bring. But I don't think anyone could have anticipated it would have taken this long. And so I I don't know what that answer is, but I have to believe that there's a big enough community forcing companies to say, take a look at your people right? Do you have the right butts and seats? Because if you do, and you're breeding the right culture, and people feel like they're getting what they want, there shouldn't be any reason why they wouldn't want to come back to work. And so, you know, if you don't want to go back to work, there's a reason why. And it can't just be because you get more shit done at home. When you say, what about when you, when you say come back to work, do you think it more as like a hybrid? I mean, <laughs> Like I always say, hybrid's a word. It's not a strategy. Like I like what like hybrid's something different for everybody. Monday and Wednesdays, right? Monday and Fridays. Right. Like right. I, I think when I say come back to work, it's truly getting people to want to be around the company that they work for and the collaboration that they need and the mentorship and the education and the community. What used to be really important for your career, if you're willing to give that up right? There's bigger reasons than not wanting to commute, right? The reason is, is that maybe you were unhappy in the culture where you in. Maybe you, you know, realize that if you weren't going to get what you wanted at your company, then I'd rather just stay home and work, right? I think there's, which are really hard things to solve for because it's not a one size fits all. It's not an open office, right? It's a, yeah. oh shit, now we have to look internally at our culture, at our leadership, at what we're doing wrong. Why doesn't anyone want to come back? Right? Like my people are in the office, but we we love being around each other <laughs> and we're small. So there's that right, too. <laughs> right. I mean, I get I get like both sides. I guess I get different sides of stuff, but as long as it's like a genuine perspective, right? But I do think that um I think there's like there's a lot of external factors that are that kind of control people's thought process, right? Like, so you mentioned Google with the open things. 
So I love technology. Okay. I love the advancement of technology. However, I get so annoyed of these big tech companies, uh, especially over the last couple of years, because they were the first ones to say, oh, we're never coming back to the office. All our employees are going to be great and we're going to pay and we're going to hire all these people. They disposed of their employees like right. nothing, like like tens of thousands of employees. Now they're making them come back as mandatory to the office, not because they want they give a shit about their employees. It's because they need to figure out how they can cut more costs. So they want to lay off more and more people. So big tech as a whole, I uh, I think there's a lot of shit in it that is being um, pushed out that everybody else thinks that they should listen to. First of all, nobody has the money like big tech. So I don't even know why smaller companies even pretend like, you know, they, they have the resources to do it. Um, right. they, they can't pay as much as big tech. So I think there's like the whole process is so messed up because people are trying to imitate other people or um, what these big companies are doing when they're a small mid-sized company uh, that have a completely different caliber of people working for them. So they don't understand themselves, but they try to, the, the lack of self-awareness or organizational awareness in companies. Yeah. Uh, and I look at it from an outsider because I'm not in any of those things anymore. So right. when I look at that, it's like, it's full of shit. And it goes back to what you said earlier about leadership. I think there's a lot of people in leadership that should not be in leadership. Yeah, and I think this, like, here's the thing, like, if you are um, a go-getter, right, and you want to create this pathway for yourself, do you think you're going to do that sitting in your home, right? Do you think that that's yeah. really going to happen for you without creating a network and a community that, you know, you can surround yourself with? Do you think that when I go out there in the world, like, if I walked in and pitched, and people didn't know who I was or know what I did or things like that, that they would like, they'd be like, well, who are you? Right. And so I, I think that also, again, if you want to bring it back to yourself and accountability, like eventually you have to go out there and do what you want to do and get what you want. And sometimes, I mean, there's convenience with having flexibility to work from home and that's excellent. Right. That's called I earned it, right? I worked my ass off and now I can be trusted on Fridays to work from home because even though I'm probably doing my laundry too so that I don't have to take up time on the weekend, I can get my work done. Um, but it, it goes back to this personal question. What do you want out of your career? What do you want to get? And I don't think if, if the answer is, I want to create this pathway or I'm in a leadership position and I'm managing a team, I don't think you're going to get it working from your home. And so but what if here's one, here's where I'll challenge you on that. What if you are getting the work done and you are getting, um, you are producing because I do know some people that are productive at home, right. Based on how their company is set up and how, um, you know, how their teams are performing and all that. So what about those types of people that could get the work done at home? So plenty of people can get the work done, right. Um, but what about, I, I challenge you, I counter challenge you. <laughs> uh -huh. What about the people who are new, right? Who are young, who you, they think they can get the work done, but maybe they can't. And, and so the people who can get the work done are probably been doing the work, right? Yeah. And so they can get it done and there's validity. I will say this, there is validity to getting way more productive work done when you're not interrupted all day by your culture. 100%. However, learning to be part of a culture is equally as important as the work, right? Because if everyone could just go work in their silo and they didn't have to deal with people, that would be so beautiful. Yeah. I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to yeah. deal with this. 
here, right? How great would that be? But that's not the real world, right? You have to learn to do both. And you can't just be, I get work done and I'm good and I'm gonna sit at home and that's enough. You have to learn to go communicate with people, have tough conversations, right? You know, deal with animosity, deal with criticism. Those are all big learning and teaching moments. You won't get that at home. Do you and think so, do you yeah. think you have to be in an office though in order to get that? No, I mean, the thing is is that the office means something different nowadays, right? Like I know for a lot of people it's about coming to the office when they meet with their team. Um, but I don't know. How how do you learn and grow if everything's just perfect for you? How do you learn and you grow on your career if you're not, you know, if you don't experience a toxic culture at one point in your career? How do you learn and you grow if you're not forced into awkward and uncomfortable situations? And sometimes the office is an awkward and uncomfortable situation, right? Like working in an open office next to people who are on the phone all day long, who are constantly over their desk interrupting you, that's awkward and uncomfortable and annoying. But you have to learn to do these things in life and push past them, right? And then this is where you find out, like, I would love to work from home for a day because I get more done in that eight hours and it's really valuable to me. There's a reason, not I just want to work from home because it's convenient. You get the reason why you want to work from home because you've experienced these things that aren't necessarily that pleasant, right? But you're not asking for perfect. And so that is my issue with this getting people back to work, that mandating people back to work that's not really working is that, you know, you also have to say, listen, we're not perfect. Let's work on that. But you are choosing to work for a company that has a diverse set of people. And we're asking you that you learn how to be in the same room with these people. And, you know, even if it's a little uncomfortable and people need to be uncomfortable every once in a while, it's okay. It helps you grow. I think the, yeah, no, I, I agree with, I think you have to be uncomfortable in order to grow because you can't grow when you're, when everything is nice and rosy and whatever. Yeah. Um, it's, but this is such an interesting topic because um, out of all the, I mean, I, I keep track of, you know, the, the one-on-one -on -one conversations that I have with people about specific things. And out of the, I think it was 296 people that I talked to over the last year regarding this topic, it was like, 280 wanted some type of a home slash office work, you know, where you have, uh, where you make the office time be very meaningful, impactful, team focused, um, relationship building type thing. And where you also have the flexibility to work from home a couple of days a week. Um, there was only like out of the 296, I think there was like three people that wanted to work in the office five days a week. And that was, I know there are reasons for why. And then um, the people who said they wanted to be fully remote there was only like five or six of that. So, but, you know, I, I don't know how that's going to translate into action, like over the next several years, because I thought for sure um, when COVID first happened, that it was like a, uh, you know, a short-term type thing, Yeah. but it's not. Um, so there's so many different things. And I feel like companies are going to have to get more creative with um, yeah. people coming back. And when you spoke, um, on the, uh, during the discussion a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this, like there's definitely polarized opinions on office versus remote or hybrid or whatever. But um, I think 
a lot of it has to do with a lack of the lack of leadership at certain companies because right. there's a lack of trust with that, right? So I don't think it's just about office or um, uh, real estate or office space or anything like that. I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of animosity and a lack of trust that's actually creating this yeah. polarity. And I think it's a perception of um, freedom and autonomy, right? So when we were in, when everyone was locked down for three months, I started um, walking a ton and I would do my Zoom meetings and then I'd go take a, an hour walk and then I'd come back and I'd work and I'd do another Zoom meeting, take an hour walk. And I would never do that in the office. I never leave the office and go take an hour walk a couple times a day, right? And so I think what happened was, is that you had less pressure about choosing to work in a way that's not acceptable in the office. And that's what I think the real challenge is, is that if your office gives you this perception that you need to work in this certain way and you don't fall into that, that's what's hard to give up is this autonomy to work freely the way that you work, right? In the kind of lighting you like, in the seat that you wanna sit in with the music that you like to listen to. And so that is personal and that is very hard, but that's not gonna change unless the culture changes and unless they invite that kind of freedom and autonomy, but that takes a while to create. That culture doesn't create itself overnight. And then it goes back to leadership and taking a hard look inside. And that's why I think this is going to take a long time because those are big things to do for companies. They're not easy, right? Real estate and squeezing enough, you know, a number of bodies into 100 square feet per person versus 300 was an easy decision. That's like a formula. That's easy. That's got a direct line to your bottom line. Yeah. This is really hard. Really well, hard. yeah, I think, um, and I feel like I kind of, have a front row seat just because of my relationships with people like you and the rest of the team. Um, and also, you know, the people who are at these companies, right? So it's interesting for me to look at it from an outsider's perspective and just to see how the mindset and the psychology has drastically changed. But I personally think it's because there, a lot of it has to do with the lack of trust in leadership and yeah. people seeing the benefits in coming and working with their uh, for their bosses and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see. Um, so I, uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they want to talk with you? Uh, reach out on LinkedIn, uh, Insta, um, email me. Um, I'm always, I, I call myself an opportunistic uh, person. I always respond, um, except for the other day, I got a text that someone said they wanted to buy my house. And a colleague was like, don't respond to that. That is vicious. Oh, yeah. I get those all, I get like, and they're getting better and better. But if I don't have someone's number in my phone, I don't yeah. respond to it because there's like weird viruses and stuff. So I just want to say, I, I'm actually, before we leave, I have one question for you. And you kind of have to think quick instead of don't overthink it. What's right, more, right. this is actually from one of my uh, podcasts that I listen to called Drink Champs, but I put it on my LinkedIn thing yesterday had some interesting messages and emails, um, nothing bad, but it was good. What do you think <laughs> is more important to you, to you, loyalty or respect? Oh, loyalty. Huh? Loyalty. Okay, perfect. Because that's actually, I would have said that. And I, my response would be that quick too, but it's interesting because yeah. the perception of the question by by people, right? Um, nobody's wrong because there's no right or wrong answer. But that's right. <laughs> it's funny because I... Um, there are certain people who I I could I knew what their I could I could predict what their answer was going to be, 
you were definitely one of them. I knew it. Um, Tony Coglanese, you know, like I sent him, he's like loyalty. I was like, yep, perfect. And then also like a bunch of my friends who, um, hope that would say the same thing, but, um, look, I'm very, very, very excited to have you officially in the Orion three family. Um, I feel, I felt a connection right away. Even this podcast, I was thinking we would stop it half an hour ago, but like, (laughs) it's completely fine. Um, but I appreciate you. Um, I think very highly of you, you know, that already, and thank you for taking the time to do this. And Benny, I really appreciate you. Like I said, like I could have put my money in a number of clubs and I put my money in any day. I think you're just such a great and authentic person who truly gets to know people and connect people. Um, and that's exactly where I feel the most comfortable. And I'm so excited to be part of your community. And thank you for allowing me these opportunities and, and continuing to support me and what I do. Um, it's been wonderful. Absolutely. 